they reflect you well. Lord, and I just pray a blessing upon our time together as we open your word and reflect on uh, what you have for us. Lord, may um, Lord, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be uh, acceptable in your sight, Lord. May we exalt you and lift you up today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Again, in Psalm 19, we'll read through this passage together. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out to speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 happens to be one of my favorite psalms. I probably say that every time I get to preach on a psalm. But uh, this one is one that has a lot of meaning to me and um, has, God has brought it up throughout my life. Um, we had a, my brother and I had a pattern for a while there that on a beautiful starry night, we would send each other a text. Tonight's a Psalm 19 night. And uh, just that reminder of like, and which is a call. It's a call like that. Just that text, even though it just says this is a Psalm 19 night. It's like look up, see the glory of God, worship God. And I mean, it's just how can you look up at the night sky and not see wonder and capture that? And to to have a reminder, hey, if you haven't been outside yet, go look at the stars, go look at the moon, go look at the night sky. It is beautiful. Um, and so Psalm 19 captures that there is also, interesting enough, I had a young man who came to youth group for a while who was an atheist. And, um, and you know, we had different discussions. His, one of his parents was a Christian. One of his parents was an atheist. And um, he was kind of torn in between. But he's coming to youth group. And we we're actually down at, um, at Ontario Christian Fellowship at the time on a, um, a fall evening. And uh, we had a, a, a bonfire going up. And we're just talking, and, uh, and he says to me, he said, he said Brad, you know, you know what my favorite scripture is? And I'm like, you have a favorite scripture? <laughs> I'm excited you're reading the Bible. Yes, I want to know what your favorite scripture is. He goes, Psalm 19. And I was like, well, that is interesting. Like, why is that? He goes, I, I just look up, and it's just a beautiful night. And I just, it's just my favorite psalm. And I was like, there is hope for you yet. <laughs> you know, psalm, how, can you, how can you be an atheist and say Psalm 19 is 
my favorite verse, my favorite passage, because it says the heavens declare that there is a God. And so as I um, was thinking through this morning, I want to go through my outline a little bit more in a visual sense. And so this morning, the first point is the song of creation. And the song of creation in this image here is not an artistic rendering. This is a picture captured by the James Webb Telescope a year ago of the Carina Nebula and this particular part is called the Cosmic Cliffs. This is 7,500 light years away. And, uh, and it spans from the bottom of the picture to the top of the cliffs, the tower there, is seven light years. Now, a light year is 5.88 trillion miles, one light year. And so this is a far away, far, far away in the galaxy, far, far away, right? Um, now, this is just that when we look up and we gaze at our night sky, like we can't, we wouldn't be able to see this with the naked eye. The, the new telescope is infrared technology and it captures space dust and, and other elements and, and it puts, assigns a, a color for us to see what is there. And uh, as we look at it, many of those stars that we look at, those aren't actually stars, those are galaxies. They're hundreds of millions of stars. And, uh, and when we look up at our night sky, like we, well, even now, even this last week, I got out a couple of times just to look up and, and being able to see a beautiful moon and some of the stars, but we have such light pollution around here, um, and we don't, we don't see the vastness of the stars very well. And uh, I don't know if any of you saw that this, was, this weekend was the height of a meteor shower, uh, and if you're an early riser, somewhere between 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, you might have captured it. I was a little bit thankful last night to see that there's going to be cloud cover, so I wasn't tempted to get up real early this morning and try to capture the last day of it. Um, but we, we see this, we see the sky um, diminished because of our creations, what we have made, um, and that we, we rarely take the time to get out there and look up. And so one of the first times I remember um, someone intentionally stopping me to look up was on my Dominican Republic trip with CBCA and uh, we got out on one night and our leader took us out down the path to a basketball court. There's no electricity in the village we're at and uh, we all had our flashlights and our cameras and we, he had everybody sit down, lay back and shut off all our flashlights and then he had the last lantern and when he shut that lantern off it was as if the stars reached out at us in this darkness, reaching down, and then saying, hey, that star over there, and he knew the name of that star he pointed at, and he said, is this many thousand light years away? And this, this is the amazing thing about God of creation, that he created that star and that particle of light to reach you right now, in this present time, that it was a 150,000-year-old light that is reaching you at this moment, in this place, that God of creation began that at creation for us to see that he exists and that he is God. And so here in Psalm 19 where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. David's not saying don't look at the rest of creation. We don't have time to go into the rest of creation, but if we just look at the the sky, the heavens, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and we imagine for a second that these are artistic renderings that are drawing us to a God that exists, that is powerful, that is creative, that is intelligent, that is mysterious, that is lovely. He's revealing himself to us. Verse 2 says it pours out speech. This literally means to bubble over, to overflow, that the night sky, the sun coming out, it is declaring, overflowing, God exists. 
God is real. There's a creator. There's an intelligent designer. There is one who is beyond you. And the night reveals knowledge. It says this goes throughout all the earth. To the end of the world, the voice goes out. The call, the general call, God exists. God is real. And it's interesting that David is using here throughout these first six verses, he's using the term El, or the, the singular Elohim. It's, uh, it's really um, the generic term for God. Uh, whenever we use God in the English, you know, if we're referring to our God, we do a capital G. If we're referring to other gods, we do lowercase g. It's, God is kind of a general term. It's, it is an impersonal term. Uh, it doesn't declare who God is, but it, it is a term that says there's an almighty God creative, intelligent, mysterious creator. Like the creator exists. God exists. The first book of God's word is his creation that declares he does exist. And, uh, <clears throat> and wanted to show a picture that is just phenomenal to me of uh, the next slide. So, okay, say this, <clears throat> this picture, this size of that, that square of space there, uh, would be equivalent to a grain of sand at an arm's length away of our night sky. So just imagine that, they, they've blown that little grain of sand up, and each one of those is a galaxy. And, uh, and it just shows the vastness and the hugeness of space and time. And when we think about this, like, our God is so big that he spoke all these things into existence. It says he, he hung them in their place. He knows them by name, and he does this to declare his majesty, his glory. It's not wasted space. It's not, it, it, is, it is there for a reason that at every phase of human history, from way back when we had no technology and only had our eyes to look up, to now that we have telescopes that we send into space and, uh, and, and that go way out and take pictures of things we'll never get to or never see, all of it declares that there's a God. And, uh, and I think that's just amazing to, to see just, just that, that small part and to think that God said to Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just amazing to think that David is declaring the night sky, the sun, the heat of the sun, all proclaiming that there is a God. And it talks about the sun coming out like a, a bridegroom. And my interpretation of this is the sun comes up when it's like when the groom sees the bride on the, on the wedding day. It's one of my favorite parts of going to a wedding or officiating a wedding, in which several of you are here the day that I get to officiate. And, uh, and my eyes go to the groom when the doors open, and I want to see his response because it is beautiful, his excitement, anticipation. And this is the picture of the sun coming up, excited, full of joy and anticipation for the day. And then the other one talks about a strong man running uh, in a... There's one guy that comes to mind when I think about this particular one, and one of my friends ran a 50-miler, um, and I was his pit crew, and there was a guy who, was a, who didn't look like a typical runner running 50 miles. He was well-built up top, and, uh, and he ran barefoot for 50 miles, and he's the only runner that had a smile every time I saw him for 50 miles, running, running, and this is like a strong man running for joy, and, uh, and running may not bring joy to most people, but it did to him. And so we get this picture of the, the, the sun is going with joy, proclaiming the good news that there is a God, there is a creator, there is a designer. And perhaps this is a psalm that Paul was reflecting on when he, he wrote Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bible and would like to turn 
into your New Testament with me and, and look at Romans. We're going to look at verses 18 to 23. It says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is reminding us that from creation, there's a truth, a testimony, a song of creation that sings about the existence of God his intelligence, his creativity, that he is there. And so that nobody is without excuse. And when you encounter the existence of God, that means that there is responsibility, that there is an absolute truth. And this absolute truth is that if God exists and I'm a created things, I am not God, and that his law is what matters, that his standards are what matter. And so what we do in our rebellion against God is to say, I can't acknowledge God's existence, I have to suppress the truth. And, uh, and we diminish God, and we bring him down to our level into created things. So I was even reading on the website I, I follow for the James Webb Telescope, they, uh, they had a whole article about finding that the consciousness of man doesn't, doesn't end with the end of life, that the body may die, but consciousness goes on. However, rather than saying, hey, God had it all figured out and said he created us as immortal beings for eternity to be with him, they have now said, well, um, this whole concept of the multiverse is, is coming into play, that our consciousness will leave our body and go to some other dimension. Uh, but in order to prevent them from saying that, I have to acknowledge that when I realize that we are created for more than this life, I can't accept God. I have to come up with something created or some other imagination. And Paul tells us here that this is what mankind has been doing since creation when they refuse to acknowledge God, to see God, to, to allow the testimony of creation to help us see that God exists. And so I also believe this is uh, telling us that this general call of the existence of God, this song of creation goes to all the world, all people, all time, so that no one is without excuse. And you may ask the question, then what about those people who've never heard about Jesus in some lost Stone Age tribe on the other side of the world? And that's a good question. But I think the Bible speaks to this, that those who respond to the general call that there is a God, that he is intelligent, that he has created things, that I want to know this truth, that God will send someone to give specific revelation to them. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be filled. Those who want to know what is right will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. And I have stories about that that I can't go and talk about right now, but if you would like to know more why I can say that God's word tells us that no one is without excuse. I'd love to tell you some missionary stories later. <clears throat> so, 
the song of creation is beautiful and inspiring and points us to El or Elohim, the God of creation, that he exists, but it doesn't tell us who he is. And David anticipates this. So he leads us continually in the Psalm 19 into verses 7 through 11. Again, it says, the law of the Lord. And let's just stop there. The law of the Lord. David shifts from saying six verses, God, El, Elohim, to Lord. In our English Bible, it's all caps, uh, standing for the tetragrammaton, or the four consonants, Y-H-W-H. Or our best guess at the pronunciation would be Yahweh. Some translations might say Jehovah, or Lord. Now, Jehovah is the four letters, uh, the consonants, with the vowels from Adonai, placed over top of them to help not mispronounce or, or, or speak the name of God irreverently. And so it would become out Yehovah, and there's, because there's no J in uh, sound. And so we transliterate that into English as Jehovah, as the name of God, so we can say this is Yahweh um, without speaking his name in offense. And that th this is amazing because here he shifts from the impersonal God to the very specific personal God. Yahweh is a, God, a name that means faithful covenant-keeping God. This is a relational name. This is a, a name that says God is knowable. God is a relational. God is inviting you into a relationship with him through his covenant revelation that we find throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And so the law of the Lord is amazing because it's inviting us to go from just acknowledging existence into this relational knowledge of him. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every scripture is profitable because it points us to our creator, to Yahweh, to our God who we can know. And then I love uh, one of the ways someone taught me this, the teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness is simply said, what is right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Is right here. The Bible tells us all these things, how we can walk with God so we can be mature and walking in every good work. Now this picture, um, sorry, the, the, uh, the song of scripture, next, next, that song of scripture um, here is uh, this. You may not have seen this before, this artistic rendering of the cross chain. So let's go to the next slide. The song of scripture is uh, depicted here of all the cross references in scriptures is, in, is displayed in an artistic way. Next slide, please. So at the bottom of the chart, all these graphs coming down, those are all chapters in the Bible. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And so it goes across the bottom. Then you can see the little arches going from closeness and proximity. And then um, can you go back one slide? And then you see the from the beginning to the end. Uh, let's see if I can. I found, came across this through George Guthrie's article, This May Be the Coolest Bible Image You Have Ever Seen. Uh, a Lutheran pastor, Christopher Romhild, uh, and Chris Harrison, a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, came up with this, this picture. There are 66 books in our Bible. There's 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. 
And then this picture is the 63,779 cross-references in the Bible. On average, that's more than two cross-references for every Bible verse uh, in the Scriptures. And what this tells us is that the Scripture is no accident. Now, if we had a master storyteller writing a story and could refer back and forth from beginning to end uh, anywhere close to this, we would, I mean, we'd like be in awe of a master storyteller. But this book was written by 40 different authors, most of whom never met each other, over a span of 1,500 years on three different continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And the entire book tells one united story. It's all connected, testifying to God's creation, man's fall, Christ's redemption, and the final restoration of all things. This is the story of God's love for us and his movement towards us and calling us back from beginning to end. And it is a divine work. This could not be possible for any human endeavor to create something so magnificent and so beautiful. And I see this as we look at the Carina Nebula. Hopefully we look at that with awe and wonder. And you see a graph like this, that when we look at this, we can look at this book with awe and wonder that this is not a man-made story. No man could conceive of the ideas that are in here. No group could come together and create this. And so, again, uh, the, just the four points that George describes this tells us. First, we see that the Scripture is beautifully united. The Scripture is authoritative. That's a big one for us to come to, that when we come to the Scripture, it is the authority for our life and our daily practice. The Scripture often points us to other places in Scriptures. I wish we had time to run through some of the cross-references, but you won't fully understand or appreciate a Scripture passage until you see the context and you see the history and you see the thread that God has woven all the way throughout. And the Scripture is a story. It is compelling. It draws us in. And so, and standing in awe of this, again in Hebrews, we are told that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account to. Scripture reveals that there is a God who exists, who is creative. He's the author and giver of life. It tells us that he has a name, Yahweh. He's a personal God, a covenant-keeping God, but he is an authoritative God. And so the song of Scripture is revealing, as we look at into verse 7 through 11, quickly we'll just say the song of Scripture is revealing, it's life-changing and soul-altering. The song of Scripture is profitable and will impact change. David sings that the law of the Lord is trustworthy. It's, it is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is clean. It's true. And David's singing that the law of the Lord is impactful. It revives the soul. It brings us from death to life. It gives us wisdom. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It's worthy of being desired. It is sweet and brings great reward. He says, if you had the opportunity to get a bunch of gold or the Bible. You choose the Bible, for it is everlasting. It is eternal. And then as sweet as honey, I almost took a picture of a, of the image that came to mind was when I was in Kenya, and I was holding this, this little 
beautiful child, and I gave him a lollipop, his first ever lollipop. And he was so excited. If I would have had the video, it would have been great because it depicts this idea of the, the sweetness of the scripture. Like when he tasted sweetness, now they, they primarily live on um, cornmeal, a spinach, and rice uh, bean type food. It's very bland, but it, the, those who are lucky there in the slums of Kenya, they have at least uh, sustenance. They have some, something that will give them a little bit of protein and they fill their belly. Uh, and they get one meal a day. And they don't get sweets. They don't have candy bars. They don't have that. And so when they gave him that sucker, he took a, he put it in his mouth and the, his facial expression, it lit up. He was so excited. And the first thing he did with his joy was shove it in my face. He's like, this is so good. You got to try it. This is the joy of the, of the word of God that it should be sweet, that we want to share it, that it comes in and we are so excited that this is so good. You need to have it. And, uh, and this little child gave me that picture forever. So again, in these first two songs, David tells us that God is real, powerful, and the creator. God is Yahweh, a faithful, covenant-keeping God who is personal, noble, and has given us uh, law for us to be in right relationship with him. And I'm going to move on as we, we're running out of time, but I can't skip this part. There's an interlude here that David didn't anticipate. I'm just going to read a scripture and move quickly through it, but the song of the sun, the song of the sun, if David would have known, he would have written this, but long, and Hebrews 1 says this, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by creation, by the prophets, by the law, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, on the majesty of high. Do you see the, the continuation from the impersonal creator God to the personal Yahweh to the intimate relationship with the Son of God that brings us into right relationship with the Father because of what he does, because... Um, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us, that Jesus moved towards us. 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10 says, he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before God spoke the world into existence, he had a plan in Jesus to redeem us, to bring us back to life, and to forgive us our sins. He moved towards us despite our sinfulness to make us righteousness through faith. Because this is eternal life, to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so the song of the sun then brings us back to the song of freedom in Christ. And the, the closing verses here in 12 to 14, he says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from, my, from hidden faults. And we'll just stop there. The declare, like... God, you have to do a work in me. I can't earn my salvation. I can't earn my forgiveness. I can't make myself clean. God, you have to move. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and the amazing thing is as we go into, again, we follow the cross references, we come into the New Testament and we find out that that's in fact what Jesus Christ has done. John 1, 12 through 13 says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that in Christ, 
And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. The whole doctrine of justification is the fact that God declares those who were sinners to now be righteous in Christ. That we are seen, those in Christ are seen as the righteousness of Christ. And so trusting in Christ brings God's declaration that you are innocent and righteous in Christ and that, our, that he has taken our sins to the cross. Because Jesus came and appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so when David comes here and he looks at creation, and he looks at the word of God, he is in awe and wonder, and his response is, help me change. Help me change. And again, a, a youth group story. I was, we used to have a conference room in the back. And I remember uh, one, we had a series of, uh, of our students sharing their testimonies. And one of the girls asked if she could come early and work through her testimony. We're sitting in the conference room and uh, she starts talking through her, her conversion experience. And she was a brand new Christian, didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so, which I love because she hasn't learned all the proper Christian words to use. And she had this beautiful testimony and then she, with tears in her eyes, just says, I just want to stop sinning for him. That encountering Christ led her to the place, I want to stop sinning. I want to stop sinning. And that should be our response when we see God, the creator, the covenant-keeping God, the redeemer in Jesus Christ should lead us to say, I am unworthy, I am a sinner, and I need you to change me. I can't do it on my own. And that's the invitation we have with God. The song of freedom comes in Christ. And that in Christ, he breaks the shackles of sin. He opens the prison doors. He lets us live in freedom and victory over sin. And he, one of the ways he does that, he gives us a community of faith. He calls us not, he doesn't save us to isolation. He calls us to community and through community to be reminded of his word, why we gather on Sundays to hear the preaching, the proclamation of his word, why we want to gather in small groups, why we want to have people around us is so we can help each other fulfill this part of living in righteousness, living in freedom, because each of us have a tendency to suppress the truth. We want to minimize sin. We want to minimize the truth. We want to have autonomy. We want to be God of our own life. But looking at creation, looking at the word of God, looking to Jesus Christ says, you are not God. It's your sin, my sin, our sin collectively cost God everything in his son who entered this space, went to the cross to shed his blood, to pay our penalty, and being buried and rose again. He conquered sin and death and invites us into a relationship with him, forgiving us of sin, adopting us into his family, and promising us newness of life, and he gifts us the Holy Spirit and his community. And so as we conclude today, just think about this. When you look up at the night sky, when you see the sun, hopefully it comes out today, when you see that, Praise the Lord. Give glory to the Creator. Ask Him to reveal to you, as David ends here, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Is there, and Psalm 139 ends with, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. The illumination of the sun should give us an idea of the, the desire God wants to illuminate our heart, illuminate our minds. And so today there might be someone here who has never fully trusted Jesus Christ and followed Him.
and that the, maybe the, the declaration of the glory of God, the creation and the word of God and the telling you about Jesus says you want to follow Jesus. I, I ask that if you will, that today would be that day that you choose to follow him. And may, but maybe there's, uh, there's some of us who grew up knowing God for a long time in the church and uh, the clouds have covered the sun. The clouds have kept us from seeing the beauty of the, the night sky. And maybe, maybe the sin has crept back into our heart and caused us to diminish God in our lives. I pray today would be a day of repentance. A repentance just means a change of thought and a change of heart that leads to a change of action. It is a good word, not a bad word. It is a word to say, God, my way is wrong, your way is right, and there is joy. Like the sun traverses the sky in joy. Like the sweetness of that lollipop, the truth of God's love is though we are sinners, he is a forgiving God and he invites us whether we have never chose to follow him or whether we have allowed sin back in our life. Let's come to repentance and live in that freedom, live in that victory and follow and worship our God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word that we can stand here and declare and worship and acknowledge that you do exist Lord, that you, you, uh, you have shown us your, your beauty and your creation. Lord, that you have you've set the night sky and the sun and the moon in their place to tell us that you exist, that you are a creator. Lord, that you have given us this divine book called the scriptures that is so intricate and so lovely and so powerful, Lord, that uh, it declares who you are and how we can know you. Lord, forgive us for the times we ignore your book or we don't cherish it. Lord, forgive us for the times that we, we, we see the night sky and we don't give you honor and praise. Lord, I pray today that if anyone has never seen you clearly, never chosen to follow Christ, that today they might know that in, in Christ there's salvation, there's freedom, there's hope, and that they might choose to follow you. Lord, for those of us who have allowed sin and the distractions of this world to, to mute the display of your glory in our life, Lord, may we come to repentance and may we find that joy again uh, that your love brings us when we're in a right relationship with you. As we bring our hearts and our, our minds to, to song, Lord, may we lift up with voices uh, your goodness and your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?